0: Well, let's pray together lord we thank you that as we come to you we're coming to the father of mercies and the god of all comfort we thank you for your word we thank you for blessing us with it we ask you now to open our minds and our hearts and help us to be responsive to the things that you have to say to us Lord, you know that we are very needy as individuals and as a whole congregation, so please meet us at the point of our need, we ask for Jesus' sake, amen. It was just about 10 years ago that the conflict started in Syria, and since then it has been almost nonstop perpetual war. Estimated that refugees in Syria number around 10 million, half of them in the country, perhaps half of them outside the country. The infrastructure has been largely decimated. Some refugees have the privilege of living in camps. Many of them live outside the camps. And uh, wherever they are, People are in great need without stoves, heating fuel, cooking fuel, blankets, clean water, sanitation, without protective services, and um, without psychosocial support. Desolation is a word that might describe the country of Syria. It's desolate. Look at pictures online and you will see One building after another that has been reduced to rubble. Desolation is a term that pops up in the Old Testament again and again and again. It has to do with destruction, um, desert wilderness, it has to do with a barren woman. Uh, Desolation also is a word that is tied to rape and to sexual abuse now as john suggested this passage that we're looking at is a very hard one and so a couple qualifiers one someone has suggested that this passage is one of the ten most avoided in the whole bible and you can sort of get that it's graphic It's too much, and as we just read it, I can imagine that there might be some of you uh, for which this passage uh, triggers things deep inside you. If that is the case, um, please look up to Christ in faith, and if you want to talk about it, I'd be glad to talk more. Uh, The elders would be glad to talk with you. We want to be people who Um, respond to God's word and to the things that he's doing in our lives in a way that makes us more Christ-like. We need, we want to be in families where we're cherished. And the topic before us underscores just the opposite, that rape is foolish, it's godless, and it leads to shame and it leads to desolation. So 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 22, and here's the way in which we're going to approach it. We want to think about, first of all, the circumstances and the crisis and the culpability that's described here. And then after we've looked at that, We want to think about the wisdom and the outrage, both of those, wisdom and outrage, which come to expression in this text. And then after that, we'll take a look at shame and dissolution. And then we want to ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do with this in the week that's ahead? Well, the circumstance of this sad, sad story. At the macro level, you know, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel is about the rise and the decline of the Davidic kingdom. It takes us from a time in Israel's history when every man did what was right in his own eyes to then division, idolatry, and ultimately exile. We begin 1 Samuel with a woman who is desolate, Hannah. And we end 2 Kings chapter 25, which is really the end of the Davidic timeline. We end there with a nation that is desolate. And in that whole development, this story of rape is pivotal. The first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel deal with the rise of Uh, David's kingdom and the last 10 basically with his failure and the decline of the kingdom. That's the circumstances at the macro level. Now let's focus in just a little bit more on this text. First of all, verses 1 to 22 are pretty clearly a unit of thought. They're a unit because if you remember last time, chapter 12, verse 31, uh, David returns as it were restored to the the city of Jerusalem. He comes back with all the people having uh, been victorious in a military campaign. You get to verse 23 of 2 Kings 13, and we read this, that it's about... um, Three years later or after about three years and so that brackets verses 1 to 22 as a unit there are five characters in these verses we just read and please notice their names Jonadab his name means Yahweh is noble and then comes Amnon His name means faithful. And then Tamar, her name means palm tree or fruitful. And next comes Absalom, and his name means the father of peace. And then finally David, and his name means beloved. This is a blended family. Those are the names that those people bear. And we might just want to pause. Just think about names. Think about your name. People don't have names by chance, but by divine appointment. And always our name bring this question to mind. Am I living up to my name? And you can see the irony of these names as we think about the travesty of this chapter. Are you living up to your name? It's a good point to remember, and it's a good thing to say to your kids from time to time. You can't just live any old way. Your name means Jonathan, or your name is Jonathan. It means a gift of God. You have to act like a gift or whatever your child's name happens to be. Then one other thing from a micro level about these verses You'll notice that it's not only a blended family and people who have names to which they don't really live up, but it's also the case that family relationships are marked here over and over and over again. Look at your Bible. See how many times in verses 1 to 22 there's reference to, say, a uh, brother or sister or father or at least by my count, at least 19 times in 22 verses that we get that kind of reference. This is about a family. Well, what's the crisis? Verse 1 tells us that Amnon, whose name, he, what does his name mean? Faithful, faithful Amnon, uh, who is the heir apparent to David's throne. He's the oldest of David's sons. He loves his half-sister, Tamar. Uh, A better word for love would be he desires her. And he talks to his friend, Jonadab. Yahweh is noble, who says to him, Look, the king's son shouldn't be down in the dumps. Let's create a plan so that you can be around Tamar. And it's a risky plan, to be sure. But Amnon works the plan. And then in verse 14, we're told he rapes his half-sister. How did that ever happen? How did that ever happen in the king's household? Well, the narrator makes it very plain. Verse 2, Amnon wants Tamar. And did you notice the way it goes? It says there, it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything. And then what's the next word? It seemed impossible for Amnon to do anything to her. To her. Is that the way in which the law of God is supposed to work in our lives? That we look for ways to do things to people? I don't think so. I think it moves us in just the opposite direction. The Lord calls us to service and to sacrifice, to lay aside our own agendas for the sake of something better, and that is seeing the image of Christ produced in others. But he can't find any way to do anything to her. And now look down at verse 7. David is the king. He's also Tamar's father. And what does he do? Well, remember back at chapter, in chapter 11 how David behaves himself? David sends a servant, go get Bathsheba. He sends a message, go get Uriah, bring him home. Uriah go back to the front David is all about sending and so he's true to form here he sends and gives a message to Tamar. Tamar your brother isn't feeling so well I'm commanding you now to go and serve him and so he sends him uh, he sends her. Notice also, just let your eye go down to verse 21, when David finds out about this rape that has taken place in his own household, among his own children, when he finds out about that, he's angry. Now, who's he angry at? The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he's angry at Amnon. Maybe he's... Um, angry at the situation. Maybe David is also angry at himself. Doesn't say, but he's angry. And you can see that what has gone on between Amnon and Tamar is clearly a violation of the seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. Sexual sins are Outside the bounds of God's will for his people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 25 to 27, the Bible's very clear that rape is a violation of God's will. So, what does David do? He's the king, right? He's the one who's responsible to enforce God's law. He's also the father of the daughter who's just been raped. What does he do? Look at your Bible any place you want, there's not a word of David doing anything. He's passive. And we can kind of understand it, can't we? Suppose you had had an affair with Bathsheba. Suppose you had sent her husband back to the front lines of battle to be murdered. Would you be very enthusiastic about saying to your family, uh, don't do as I do, do as I say? David doesn't do anything. And so we ask ourselves the question, who's responsible for this? Who's really culpable? And the answer is Amnon is culpable. And David is also culpable. Fathers are supposed to take care of their children. The fifth commandment says to children, honor your father and your mother but the rest of the Bible teaches that parents are to be models for their children. You know, Proverbs chapter 22, verse six, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he won't depart from it. Often we take that as a great comfort. Here's God's promise to me, train up a child in the way he should go and I, you, Lord you know I've been faithfully, faithfully, training this child. And here's the promise, when he's old, he won't depart from it. But there's another valid translation of that verse. Do you know how it goes? You train up a child in the way he wants to go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. It would seem as if that's what happened in the case of Amnon. He's raised in the way he wants to go, and when he's old, He's not going to depart from it. This is also a sidebar thing, but this might just be a good word for parents. You know, As your children are growing up, it seems like what you want to do is invest in their lives enough so that you know something about their friends and you know how they're thinking so that you can help to direct them, particularly when it comes to the dating scene. Someone once said, and I think it's a good idea, your kids get about ready to date, you ought to talk with them about it. And uh, it wouldn't be bad to get to know the kids that they want to date. I've even heard of fathers interviewing young men who want to take out their daughter. We won't mention any names. Parents have a great opportunity when it comes to raising children, you know? And it's sadly portrayed for us here uh, in in the negative. Well, that takes us then to the next big category that we want to think about, and that is the wisdom and the outrage of this rape. Verse 14 tells us that uh, after... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, uh, Amnon makes his desires clear to Tamar and she says, no, let's not do it. Uh, She says this would be disgraceful, this would be folly, this would be senseless. Now imagine a princess saying to a prince, no, we're not doing what you want to do. And what's Amnon's response? Well, he's the king's oldest son, right? And apparently, nobody has ever said no to him because, verse 14, he's not having it. Now, what's the nature of love? Let me ask you that. What's the nature of love? Is the nature of love forcing my way on somebody else? Is that what love is about? Debbie and I had a discussion yesterday. It was a very mild discussion. Um, Somebody had asked, there's a church nearby who had asked if I would go and uh, preach there. And I said, well, what do you think? She says, you need something else to do like you need a hole in the head. Now, I kind of got the impression that she wasn't real big on the idea. Now, I want to revisit it with her later just to make sure. But what I'm trying to say to you is I could have responded and say, don't you know who I am? I'm a big deal minister. You're my wife. You do what I say. That's not the nature of love, nor is it the nature of love in Amnon's and Tamar's case for him to force himself on his sister. And then she goes on in verse 13 and she raises a great question. What will I do with my shame? How am I going to carry my shame if you actually do violate me? How will I ever be able to deal with that? And again, it raises another question. My guess is if we were to spend enough time together, we would find that everybody in this room has places where you feel shame. You know, you look back on your life and you think, oh, well, I, I hope nobody ever finds out about that. So where do you go with your shame? Where could Tamar go with her shame? Where do you go with your shame? Well, very quickly, verse 15 is quote, unquote, love, which turns to violence, turns to hatred. And now he hates her more than he ever loved her in the first place. And so at the end of verse 15, Amnon says, get up and go. And again, uh, Tamar is equal to his words. And she says, no. Second time, no. I'm not doing it. Because if I were to get up and go, that would be worse than what you've already done to me. It's a greater wrong, she says. And so let's let's link the ways in which Amnon is behaving. She says it's disgraceful, it's foolish, It's senseless, and now finally, Amnon, what you're doing is wrong. Now, is Tamar misguided? Should she have just sort of submitted? No. She speaks wisdom. She is called to be a godly woman, and she does all that she can to deflect his sinful impulses. Rape is demeaning. And it is appropriate that she is properly outraged by this treatment. It's violence to the image of God in us. That's what rape is. But again, verse 16, Amnon won't listen. He's not having it. And so verse 17, he says, uh, he calls his servant. He says, get her out of here and bolt the door. And it's interesting, if you look at your verse 17, I think you'll see that it says, get this woman. Yeah, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. That's not the best translated te- uh, translation of the text. You know what would be better? This. Put this out of my presence and bolt the door. He doesn't treat her in terms of her gender. He doesn't name her by her name. It's as if, get this thing out of here and bolt the door. No name. Trash. She's been used. Now get her out. What's Tamar's response? Well, you notice, verse 17 she, or verse 19, she puts ashes on her head. Then she tears this princess robe that she's wearing. She puts her hands on her head and goes out with loud wailing. Injustice, anguish, oppression—that's what she's experienced. And then we're told that she lives with her brother, Absalom, from that point on. But not just live with him, please notice again. What does it say? Verse 20 says, Tamar lived a desolate woman in the house of Absalom, her brother. Desolate. Where there, where, which other places in the Bible does that term come up? Well, creation. Uh, there's formlessness, void, emptiness, darkness, isolation. But desolation carries with it the notion of being despised and rejected and acquainted with grief and endless suffering. Where does sexual abuse lead? It leads to treating another person as a non-person. Now, where do we go with this? Tragic, graphic story. First of all, let's say this to ourselves. All of life is religious. We can't separate it into parts. Well, this is my religious part of life, and this is my sexual part of life, as if the two don't inter act with one another. No, all of life is religious. Let's also go to this with, our, with this passage. Sexual abuse, rape, it's sin. It's displeasing to the Lord. And so whatever your sexual sins might be, this is the time to confess them to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. He's gracious and merciful. Your sin is not too much for the arms of the cross, you know. So whatever your sexual sins may have been, confess them to the Lord and thank him that he's forgiven you and turn away from them. And if you're one of the many people that has been abused, look up to Christ in hope. Not too many years ago, there was a woman worshiping with us who told this story. She said, I was in church one day, and the pastor was talking about abuse. And he said that abuse is rampant in the church. It's about 25% of all women have been abused. And she's sitting there in a the row. And she's thinking to herself, 25%. One, two, three. That would be me. Now she's a mature adult and all of a sudden there's a flood of memories that come back to her. She'd push them back out of her consciousness and it dawns on her, this is something with which I have to deal. So I say to you, if you're one of the four, 25%, maybe it's more than that now, look and hope to Christ. Jesus endured desolation for you. Jesus endured desolation for you wherever you are. You say, where does the Bible teach that? Do you remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? He cries out and he says, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows about desolation. He's close to the brokenhearted. Margie had been a spinster most of her life. And then she met Leonard and they were married and started coming to our church. And as I began talking to her about her story, she said that she was raped as a young woman. Do you know what she did? As this man was forcing himself upon her She didn't know what else to do. She was a follower of Christ and she cried out. She said, oh Jesus, save me, help me, please protect me. And she was raped and he did care for her. Do you know how? Margie became one of the most godly, happy uh, servant types in the church that I have ever met. I wish she were still around, I miss her terribly. And I say that to you to encourage you that wherever you have suffered, the Lord is able to give you of his grace to make you what he wants to be, a trophy of that grace. So listen now to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. We don't have a high priest who hasn't been touched with the feelings of our infirmities but one who is tempted in all the points, like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly, with confidence, to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Are you in need today, come to Jesus. Lord, bless your word to us. We thank you for it. We ask you to shape us to be more Christ-like, in our interactions with one another, particularly in our families. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen.